Hey everybody, today Rado runs through his top 10 games of 2021 preliminary edition. That is very, very important. I want to uh, make clear this is not my definitive list because there's a whole bunch of games from 2021 that I have not played. Some of them are actually on the wall in the very next room, uh, but a lot of them I have not been able to get my hands on yet. So every year, uh, right around the holiday season, I like to do my preliminary countdown of the games I've played so far, kind of as a gift to everybody who enjoys the show, as a thank you for supporting the show. But come back in either April or May, and I will do an updated top 10 after I've gotten a chance to play all the other ones that I missed along the way, and that will be the definitive. And actually, I have to admit, I kind of like doing this too, because it just means I give more shout-outs to more games. Because in case you didn't know, I consider myself a pretty positive, upbeat person. I love games. I love talking about games. I love shining a spotlight on games. So doing this as a part one, part two, it just makes sense. It's more joy of gaming to shred. And honestly, I'm surprised more channels don't do it. But hey, that's uh, I do a lot of weird stuff, don't I? Including streaming this live. I should say, by the way, in case you're celebrating it, uh, Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas, depending on where you are in the world. I actually streamed this live the day before. It's actually Christmas Eve right now. You'll be seeing this on Christmas Day, and I hope you have a fantastic holiday. I hope Santa brought everything you wanted, if, in fact, Santa is a part of your life. If not, I just hope you had a very, very good year, and I hope uh, 2022 will continue an upward uh, trend. Uh, speaking of 2022, come back a week from now, and I'll be doing a countdown of my most anticipated games for 2022 as well. And again, I'll be streaming that live on uh, New Year's Eve, and then making that live on New Year's Day 2022 to ring in the new year. But that's for the future. Right now, we're going to look to the past. I'm going to talk about my 10 favorite games, or my wife's and my 10 favorite games of the year. So, uh, without further ado, let's get going, um, starting with, where is it, my number 10. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Gutenberg. Oh my goodness. I am so pleased with this game from Grana Publishing. And I'm so sorry, a couple of relatively new designers who I don't remember your names. And I, even if I remember them, I wouldn't be able to pronounce them at all because they were very complicated. You can watch my run through. I, I did my best shot at pronouncing the uh, designer names there. But anyway, Gutenberg is fantastic. Grana Games generally tends to make more light, midweight, gateway style games, but every once in a while, they put out something in their expert line. This is the latest one. And what I love about this game, there's a lot of things I love about this game, but the number one thing is those gears. Because this is that rarest of game, that a Euro that makes everything revolve around the passage of time. The time is basically a resource in this game. As the game goes on, you're able to draft these gears and add them to your main board. And they basically, every round, you rotate them. And that gives you access to a different combination collection of bonuses. You'll be able to use that round. Although, once you've got those gears, you 
can reprogram them, pick them up, rotate them, put them back down. And working out the timing to get those gears in perfect synchronicity is wonderful. I mean, it's impossible not to hearken back to one of both Jen's and my favorite games of all time, Zulkin, the Mayan calendar. But in Zulkin, which had a bunch of really cool interlock gears, you only moved it very slowly, one notch at a time. This game knows how to use gears. They move often, and they move a lot. It's got a really great toy factor, but all that aside, I love the passage of time as represented by these gears, but I love this game, too, because it is a simultaneous hidden action selection game. I One of my favorite mechanisms of all time. You're thinking Fresco. You're thinking Dungeon Pets. Um, you know, Because everybody, every round, has to decide how much initiative am I going to give to the different actions I can do. Getting typefaces, getting special inks, taking jobs, getting those machines, and turning the ear of patrons, which are basically objectives you're trying to do. Because this is the early days of the printing press. You can actually play as Gutenberg or one of several other famous um, you know, printing houses of the day, and you are trying to be the best printing house possible. The production on this game is amazing. The actual typeface tokens that you represent you being able to make more elaborate manuscripts are literal wooden block types that you could use in real life in a classic Gutenberg printing press. I mean, it, it, they didn't just go with simple little cardboard tokens here. They really blew it out. So the presentation is phenomenal, but that aside, the gameplay is great. The passage of time as a mechanism I love. The simultaneous action selection, the really tense drafting that is going throughout the game, all of this combined brings in Gutenberg as my number 10 game of the year 2021. But now, let's move on to number 9. We've got Cocapelli. Oh my goodness. Um, Steffenfeld is my favorite designer of all time. And so anytime there's a new Steffenfeld game on the market, there's a very good chance I'm going to fall in love with it. And Cocapelli is a really unique one. Because I wouldn't blame you for getting a chance to play this. And if you're familiar with Feld, Feld would be the last designer you would expect. This game is unlike everything else he's ever done. I guess maybe it's kind of similar to the old arena games he did a million years ago, but this is a game of celebration, uh, which by which I mean I've got a handful of cards, and on my turn I'm usually playing cards to my own board to start different celebrations. And as long as that celebration is going, I unlock special powers I can use. But the trick to this game is we are a bunch of Native American tribes and our, our celebrations intermingle. I could start my own celebration on my board or I could contribute to a celebration you've already started on your board. And that is the main form of interactivity in this game. I can play with the player to my left and my right. I can see, oh, you started the, um, you know, the dancing child ceremony. Or, you know, because none of them are named. They just have really cool iconographic representations of what they are. I, I've got one of those cards. I can add to your ceremony. You still have that power, but maybe I have powers that reward me when I help somebody else's celebration. Maybe you have powers that reward you when somebody comes to your celebration. Now, the interesting thing is, once enough cards are played to a celebration, the celebration is over, it's closed down. And whoever plays that final card gets to score all the points. And that may sound like something terrible because you were doing a celebration, you were hoping to get those points, but then I play the last card of your celebration, I snag those points. But what happens for you is you get a consolation prize, you get some points as well. But what I've also done is I've cleared up a space because we have very limited space to do our celebrations. And maybe you were done with that special power anyway and you didn't want to waste your time getting rid of it because it's very hard for players to end their own celebrations. It takes four cards to do a celebration, but we've only 
got three of any of them. So strictly speaking, it's almost impossible. Although we do have wild cards, and there's things you can do to manipulate your deck and stuff like that. Long story short, this is a largely abstract uh, card game with an incredible amount of interaction. A lot of people consider the interaction kind of aggressive. Jen and I don't look at it that way at all. We are just constantly creating opportunities for each other from start to finish. And there's so many cards that come in this box. So much variety. Now, one thing that's interesting. I covered Cocapelli when it was on Kickstarter two years ago. Maybe it was last year. Or whenever it was. And um, the the two-player rules did go through some changes along the way. And I had heard from a lot of people, Oh, we really don't like these changes to the two-player rules. Why didn't they leave the rules the way it was in Rado's prototype run-through. And to be fair, you can go back and watch my run-through, and you can totally use those rules. It kind of tightens the game up, speeds certain elements up. I went in expecting, oh, I'm not going to be happy with these changes either, but I should have trusted Feld. I'm totally fine with them. I don't think they hurt the game at all. They just make you focus on certain things that makes the game feel a little bit different, but the tension is still there. The excitement is still there, and I absolutely adore it. It's my number nine of the year, Cocapelli. Okay, let's move on now to number eight. Terra Futura, which is a very small, unassuming little card game from a small, um, you know, little independent publisher in Europe. I'm so sorry, I cannot remember the name of the publisher. I should have looked it up. But you can uh, learn all about that if you go watch my run-through. By the way, I've done run-throughs for all ten of the games I'm talking about today, if you want to learn more about them. And you can find links to those run-throughs down in the show notes after you're done with this top ten, if you'd like to learn a bit more about these games. Anyway, Terra Futura is... Basically, a deck of cards and a bunch of uh, tokens, right? Uh, it's a very simple, unassuming game where um, there are, was it, eight cards on the table as a draft. And what we're trying to do is grab these cards to build the perfect society of the future. We are very carefully trying to meet the needs of our population by producing goods and fuel and energy, um, while also trying to avoid producing pollution. Because at the end of the game, well, first of all, too much pollution shuts down our cards and you know completely destroys our engine. Also, it loses points. So we're constantly trying to find ways to sequester the carbon we're creating and all of that. But um, I, so I love the theme. I, lo- I love the story that's told here. But what I love more is the mechanisms. Because I take one of these cards, I place it into a three by three grid of nine cards. The game is over once everybody has built their three by three grid that represents their country or their society. When I put this card down, I act Activate it, and I activate every other card in the row and column that that card is in. And that creates such wonderful, meaty decisions as players are trying to um, decide, um, well, okay, I, I, I want to get that one. Can I get that and put it in place so I can activate these other two and those things will combo really... Oh, no! You took that one. Okay. Okay. What am I going to do? Okay, I could maybe combo this one instead and I could leave that space empty because another copy of that card might eventually come out. It is a brilliant, fiendishly clever, very tension-filled game. Um, Because you're only going to play nine cards. But there's one other thing that really elevates this. As part of setup, everybody gets a couple of in-game bonus cards. One of those two cards you're going to score. So it's like an objective you're trying to do. You know, hit certain production milestones or something like that. Each of these cards has a bonus 10th turn blueprint. So one of the cards will be my end game goal I'm trying to shoot for. The other one will be will show me of my nine cards on the table, I will activate this collection of them as a special super ending game mega bonus combo turn. And so from the beginning... Every card you place, you're trying to run your engine really well, but you're also building towards that huge super final turn that will turn 
everything around. Um, but you, if you use this card to do that, you're giving up that opportunity to score points. It's brilliant. I, of course it is. It's in my top 10 of the year in a very, very good year. Uh, Jen and I were really blown away. Uh, this one was available at Essen. I don't know if it's very widely available now, but if it all sounds interesting, I mean, again, watch my run through, uh, go find the publisher, reach out to them because, um, I mean, I think they've got a bright future. The design is brilliant. Uh, the game is well put together. It's fantastic. It's my number eight of the year, Terra Futura. Okay. Now let's go on to number seven, Corrosion. You know what? I just realized I'm a big fat liar. I said I've got a run through on my channel for every one of the games in my top ten. I don't have one for Corrosion. Here's a sad tale of woe. I actually filmed a run through the other day so I'd have it ready for the top ten. Um, and I, it, was, it was a really good run through. Everything went great. I showed off a lot of the really cool features, which I'll talk about in a second. But my microphone was turned off. And so it was completely silent over an hour of just me doing all this stuff in total silence. It was ruined. So I'm sadly, I do not have, uh, but I'll, I'll have a coming soon link in the show notes for corrosion. Anyway, though, all that aside, uh, in the new year, I'll have my run through for corrosion up and oh my gosh, folks, uh, let me try to explain why this is so great. Uh, actually, all I have to do is harken back to my number 10, Gutenberg. Because Corrosion is another game that is 100% all about the passage of time. Every player has on their board a wheel. And when that wheel rotates, it represents time passing. And that can be a blessing and a curse. Because everything relates to the passage of time. Um, in this game, your, your currency is these gears that you use to build more machines in your factory in this... I guess you could kind of consider it this kind of steampunk industrial world or something like that. Um, um, but the thing is, everything in this world corrodes. The steam makes everything rust. And so as I earn more currency, I put it on this wheel. Every time the wheel rotates, my currency is one step closer to basically just dusting away and losing it. So I've got this timer. I've got to get the resources and spend them before it rusts away to nothing. But by the same token, this is a deck building game. And on my turn, I usually play a card from my hand that represents an engineer that lets me do actions like get machines or get resources or whatever. Once I do that, I have have to put that engineer on the wheel um, usually two one two or three rotations in the future because they once they do their job they're going to be out for a number of shifts and I won't get them back for a long time so I want to rotate the wheel so I can get my cards back sooner but I don't want to rotate the wheel because it's going to make my currency literally rust away to nothing and on top of that when I get new machines to add to my factory they go later on the wheel too and I've got a certain amount of rotations to get those machines completed and operational because if they're not operational by the time the wheel gets there they're gone too they corrode away to nothing. So you're constantly dealing with this push and pull. Want to rotate the wheel. Want to get all the benefits I'll get from it. Do not want to rotate the wheel. Because unlike other games, like say uh, Gutenberg I mentioned earlier, or Zulk in the Mind Calendar, or other games that have come up over the years that really focus on the passage of time, in this game, it's not mandatory. It's your choice when the wheel rotates. So you can try to stave off the passage of time as long as possible. But sooner or later, the ravages will move forward and you have to. So, I mean, you, I almost feel like I'm a time lord in this game um, who happens to be running a, uh, and a Steam Age area of industrialization factory trying to make lots of points tons of variety with the game every time you play you get a different combination of goals that everybody's racing to do you get different engineers different machines you can build 
it's phenomenal. I'm really, really impressed by it. And again, apologies, my run-through blew up, but you'll, I'll be having it out in January very, very soon. Great, great game. My number seven, Corrosion. Okay, then we move on to number six, Dungeon Decorators. And I'll be honest, of all the games on my list, I think this is the one that will cause people to say, hmm, really? Dungeon Decorators? And I say yes. Although I also apologize. I have done a run-through for Dungeon Decorators, but it was a Patreon backer exclusive run-through. Only my backers of my channel on Patreon get to see it. Uh, I'll have to think about that. Anyway, though, that's neither here nor there. Let me tell you why I think this game is so great. This is a competitive tile lane game where we're trying to build and decorate the best dungeon possible to meet the needs of clientele. Every time you play a different group of of Dungeon lords come out, and they want dungeons built a certain way with certain decorations, certain features, etc., etc. Um, there's two halves of the games. There's the drafting part, which works very much like King Domino. There's a bunch of tiles. If I grab the one further to the left, um, you know, it, chances are that's not as good a tile, but I will likely go first in the following round. If I get the more powerful ones to the right, I'll have to go later in turn order. Works wonderfully in King Domino. Works wonderfully here. That's a great little game in and of itself. But the important thing about this game is every tile is two-sided. On one side is the dungeon corridors and the intersections in the rooms. On the other side of every tile are the decorations. And when I add this tile to the dungeon I'm building, I either put it corridor side up or decoration side up. And in this way, I am literally playing two simultaneous separate tile lane games at the same time because there's different rules there's different features these two different things work very differently but they synergize together i need to build the dungeon that is the backbone that i then hang all these decorations on and so every time i put a new thing down i have to okay am i leaving room for a decoration tile somewhere down the line because this particular dungeon lord really needs these particular decorations and i'm really kind of focused on them or what have you I love tile land games. It's absolutely one of my favorite mechanisms of all time. So a game that functionally has you playing two quasi-independent, simultaneous tile land games at the same time. Oh my gosh, it's absolutely brilliant. I absolutely adore it. It is my number six of the really flying under the radar. Uh, I think it was relatively successful on Kickstarter, but... Um, uh, yeah, I mean, when I got my copy, I I'm so, I so regretted not covering it was on Kickstarter because it's so good. Number six, Dungeon Decorators. Okay, then let's go on to number five, Funfair. Honestly, I didn't know what to expect of this game. This is a competitive game where we are drafting cards into our hand to play them to build up our the best fun park you can with roller coasters and uh, commissaries, uh, you know, uh, employees. All these different cards represent different things that you can add to your fun fair. And um, you know, there's a lot of focus on trying to grab the right cards at the right time and play the right cards at the right time to create really big, interesting combos. And there's a real tension towards uh, one of the decisions you're always having to make is okay am i going to go broad am i going to have a whole lot of attractions in my park so i can really hit a lot of specific different types of of, of goals or am i going to have fewer attractions but get upgrades for them and make them better and better and better both are equally valid um both are very thematic and um you know the core gameplay here is absolutely brilliant i kind of likened it I mean, it's a radically different game, but it kind of gave me some of the same feels as Marvel Champions, if you can imagine such a thing. Because in Marvel Champions, you got your hand of cards that represent your superhero trying to fight the villains and whatnot, and every round, you want to come up with the best way 
to most efficiently play those cards in your hand to get the most use out of them, to wring everything you can out. This game feels very, very similar. It really has that same kind of vibe, and Jen and I were blown away by it. Now, the interesting thing is, this is a sequel to another game called Unfair that everybody recognizes as one of the cleverest, sharpest, uh, you know, Euro-y card games who have come out in, in years, but it was called Unfair because it was a very mean-spirited game. Very nasty, lots of attack cards, lots of really aggressive, rip-you-apart uh, event cards, and so I never even tried it. Funfair, I mean, the developers and designers realized, oh, Maybe we made the game a bit too mean-spirited. How about we do a sequel, change it to Funfair, take out all the nastiness. Oh, and by the way, come up with one of the best gaming event systems I have ever seen in board games. Because everything about this game is positive and forward-moving and exciting. It's just beautifully designed every step of the way. Watch my run-through to see why. Um, Just so much fun, so many... Really brilliant decisions. Like you, you have a, a one particular showpiece you have right from the get go that's unbuilt. Um, the sooner you build it in the game, the uh, more uh, the more it'll work for you and give you all kinds of bonuses throughout the game. But the more expensive it will, the more expensive it will be. If instead you wait round after round after round, and this game only lasts for four rounds or maybe it's five rounds, I don't remember. Um, it gets cheaper and cheaper to build that, but you'll have less time to do it. That's an interesting decision in and of itself. And everything else revolves around when are you going to get that showcased out. Super duper, great, great stuff. Um, I, I, I would love to say, I, I want to call it a gateway game because, man, if, if you've got the right people who'd be interested in the subject matter, this is such a wonderful engine building combo card co-op game. I think it is a little bit too heavy and complex to use as a gateway, though. But, oh, man, I mean, Jen, I, I mean, this is definitely a keeper. We'll keep this one for years. Fingers crossed that it gets some expansions because they're, I mean, they streamlined the heck out of Unfair and there were a lot of really cool features in Unfair that I'd love to see brought over to Funfair. So hopefully it has a bright future. Um, but even if it never does, I am in love with my number five, Funfair. Okay, then we go on to number four, Dog Lover. And this one's kind of right on the hairy edge because it's gotten a very, very limited release. There are some people in some parts of the world that have been able to get Dog Lover right now, but it's not widely available. It's going to be more widely available in January or February 2022. But because it's listed as a 2021 game on BoardGameGeek, I include it in my Games of the Year. I choose, ever, ever, as long as I've been doing these yearly things, I have always allowed BoardGameGeek to be the final arbiter. If they say it's a 2021 game, I say it's a 2021 game. Even if only 10% of its audience was able to get the game in 2021, Board Game Geek says it's 2021. I say it's 2021, and it's also my number four best game of 2021. And I apologize, a lot of you can't get it, but it will be coming soon from publisher AEG. And this is basically a sequel to another AEG game called Cat Lady, which was a wonderful little card drafting game, gateway game, all about um, having a grid, a three by three grid of cards. And um, when you went to grab cards, you would grab all the cards out of one row or one column, add them to your hand, and then try to do your best to make your cats happy fed, played with, and all that stuff. Dog Lover takes that core idea, but ramps it up to 11. Cat Lady was a total gateway game. Dog Lover is not. Dog Lover is definitely a next step game. This is for gamer geeks or people who have a lot of patience. In fact, I've seen a thread on Board Game Geek. Somebody saying, I really want to use this as a gateway game. How can I turn off some of these mechanisms? Because there are so many mechanisms in this game. So many ways that when you're drafting, you can get dogs. You're rescuing them from, um, from the streets or from the pound and then trying to take care of them. Take them for walks. Give them toys. Feed them what they want. Uh, do you focus on getting a whole 
whole bunch of dogs that you can you know, kind of take care of. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Funfair. You just get a few dogs, but you really pump all your love and adoration into them. Um, but the coolest thing about this is in Cat Lady, the draft is always the same. You always picked one row or one column. Now you can teach your dogs tricks that unlock polyomino shapes that allow you to draft in an L shape or a checkerboard or a two by two square instead of just a line. And adding that creates so much more depth to the drafting. One of the coolest card drafting games I've ever seen, quite frankly, watching your drafting ability evolve and change throughout the game is probably the secret sauce. Never mind the fact that I love dogs. My wife loves dogs. And finally, I mean, we've been looking for an amazing killer dog game that you know we'd happily keep in our uh, collection forever. There are a bunch of really nice dog games we played over the years, but Dog Lover stands head and shoulders above all of them. It is phenomenal. It is, as far as I'm concerned, the number four best game of 2021, even if you can't get it until 2022. Okay, then let's move on to number three, Golem. Or Gollum, depending on how you want to pronounce it, because both are valid depending on where you are in the world. I'm not going to worry too much about that. I am instead going to say Gollum is a phenomenal, really big, heavy, crunchy euro. This is actually on this list right now, the heaviest euro I am going to talk about today. When I do my, but I'm on the preliminary list, remember? When I follow up in five or six months, I'm sure there'll be some other really big, heavy euros on the on this list, but today, Golem takes the cape as my number three game of the year, and also uh, one of the heaviest games I played this year, and it's brilliant. Um, we are basically set um, in the, uh, you know, the, the mythical, the Jewish mythical stories about Golems, uh, you know, the, 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 the people of Prague building them to protect themselves from persecution and all of that, and we are cast in that role. Now, this game um, does kind of put uh, some of the mysticism and storytelling about golems to the side. But the interesting thing about this was, as an aside, the developers went to a professor of rabbinical studies, uh, you know, a very, very active person in the uh, academic world for um, you know, Jewish history, and got that person, I talked about this in my run-through, to sign off on how they did the game to make sure that they were handling the subject matter with deft and respectfulness. And I very much respect that. And I really hope to see more publishers doing the same in the future. My hat's off to Cranio Creations for taking the extra time and attention. But let's put all that aside. That's all the theme. Some people don't care about theme. They just want to know what's the game. Well, this is a very interesting engine building game where we are trying to make golems trying to train our students, trying to, um, you know, create artifacts, trying to, um, you know, discover more knowledge. And those are basically four different areas of focus we can pursue throughout the game. And uh, it's a juggling act because, uh, you know, you can score lots of points with any of these things, but if you focus on gathering knowledge, you're not going to be very good at making golems. If you focus on making golems, you're not really going to be taking care of your students very well necessarily. And that's important because... The students and the golems are basically, they're kind of like workers. They're on the main board, The um, and the golems over time become more and more powerful. They give you access to more and more things, which is represented by them moving further along on their progress track as they grow in power, which is kind of true to the original golem um, you know, stories. 
The problem is you need to have your students be trained well enough to control the golems. Because if, if as your golems get stronger and more powerful, if you don't make your students smarter so they can handle the golems, the golems will kind of, uh, you'll lose control. And that will cause you to lose a lot of points. And um, so you have this really interesting balancing act between taking care, you know, leveraging the golems, you know, these creations that you've used to do tasks, but taking care of your students so that they can go up. And now the way you do all of this is through a really funky marble drafting slash worker placement system. This game has a really cool marble shoot, very reminiscent of, um, oh, like, uh, oh, what do you call it? Uh, Gizmos, or uh, I can't think of the, I mean, there's been a few marble shoot games that have come out over the last few years. Uh, Lorenzo, the uh, marble game, although the Lorenzo the card game is another one. I love that. I love, you know, dumping all the marbles into the shoot, seeing how they come out, because drafting those marbles represents your students getting smarter. And you you have your students, you want them to do certain actions, but you also want to train certain students, and often those work across purposes. I need to train this student so he can control the golem, but I need to, but this other student is the one I actually want to do an action. How am I going to balance that stuff? You also have a worker that represents yourself. And so every round, you're going to get to do one of your actions and I forget well a certain number depending on how much you've leveled up of the student actions and all the while you're trying to leverage your golem actions as well trying to make progress on all of these different tracks your um, your golem tracks your artifacts tracks which can give you like a passive income your knowledge tracks it is brilliant. And honestly, I have talked about this, I think, more than any other game, and I barely scratched the surface. There is so much going on here. Uh, it's, it may look a bit overwhelming. I, I certainly understand. Anybody who looks at a picture of this or looks at my video and says, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to look at here. But once you, after a round, you're going to get up and running if, you're, if you are comfortable with big, heavy Euros. This game, I mean, it's, it's a joy to play. The first time I played it, it was taught to me at Board Game Geek. Thank you, Alejandro and Ashley, for teaching me how to play the game. We played a game from start to finish in less than an hour. Um, they had only played half a game. I had never played it. And um, so, I mean, you can get up and running very quickly, and it is a fast-moving game, and yet incredibly crunchy with a million moving parts within parts within parts you're trying to synchronize. Just the kind of stuff Jen and I love, which is why Golem is my number three of the month. Then we go on to number two, Furnace. Which, I'll be honest, feels like a 2020 game to me because I played it way back in 2020. But Board Game Geek says it's a 2021 game, so I didn't put it in my top 10 of last year. It's in my top 10 of this year, and it's my number two game of the year. And this game is so brilliant. It's a very simple, elegant auction slash engine building game where every round a certain number of industrial buildings come out that generate goods or convert goods to other goods and players are going to bid to try to get the buildings they want the interesting thing is after all the bids are in whoever bid highest gets the building right that's what you would expect in an auction game everybody else who bid but lost before the building goes to the winner everybody else gets to activate that building with a consolation prize and it's very often you'll put a bid on one of these buildings that you don't want. In fact, I want nothing to do with that building. This building would be terrible for me. But I'm going to bid anyway because I want to get that consolation prize when I lose the bidding. So I'll put in a low bid hoping somebody outbids me. Because if I'm winning this thing, I won't get the consolation prize. Instead, I'll get a building I can't use. That's a simple idea, but it is so brilliant. One of the smartest new mechanism combinations I have ever seen. And it makes for an incredibly compelling game. You don't have to take my word for it. I suspect this is going to make a lot of people's top tens of the year. Like I said, it would have made my top ten last year. It's absolutely brilliant. 
a simple, it's a deck of cards, it's just some pieces. It's my number two, Furnace. But now, let's move on to my number one of the year, Roll Camera. And really, this should come as no surprise. If you've been paying attention to my channel for the last few months, you've probably heard me talk about Roll Camera in a number of different top tens. It seems like every week it comes up in the, the R&R show that Real Gaviola and I play. I love this game so much. It is a cooperative... Um, dice worker placement game and just that in and of itself is so special because cooperative board games are so dominated by pandemic pandemic is such an incredibly solid winning formula that it's almost crazy to try and make a co-op game that doesn't just follow the beats of pandemic and then tries to tweak it or do something new and interesting. I mean, heck, the designer of Pandemic, Matt Leacock, he constantly revisits his Pandemic design and applies it to other stuff. So, I mean, the majority of co-op games that come out every year owe so much to Pandemic. Don't get me wrong, I love Pandemic. It's my number one game of all time. But I also love cooperation with my wife more than anything else in board gaming. So anytime a game comes along that allows us to cooperate in a new and different way, yes, please. And Roll Camera does that because it is a dice worker placement game. When I'm the lead player, I roll the dice and they represent all the different members of my movie crew, my key grips and my sound people, my makeup people and all that. And whatever I roll, like, okay... I've got to use these now to um, build the sets, to develop the scripts, to um, deal with disasters that are constantly popping up and slowing down the production. But most importantly, I can use those dice to call for meetings because everybody has in their hand a deck of idea cards. And you will be constantly put into situations in this cooperative game where we have no way to solve this problem. Or we're going to go over budget, we're going to run out of time, we're going to lose, this movie's going to be a disaster. And somebody says, boss, I got an idea. We can't tell anybody what's in our hands. You know, it's an imperfect communication game, but I can say, call a meeting when it's your turn. I've got the perfect card that will play this. So you use one of your precious worker dice that could be doing other things to call a meeting. And then every player in this co-op game gets to play one of the meeting cards. Um, And in a two-player game, one is drawn randomly to kind of replicate a third player. And then whoever called the meeting picks one of those cards and does whatever the idea is. And this is the secret sauce of the game because everybody wants to put in ideas that will help. And maybe we called the meeting because I had a great idea, but it turns out Jen had an even better idea and we put her idea into practice and it just changes everything because these idea cards are so powerful. But what also happens is we take one of the other ideas that didn't get picked and we put it in a queue that means we can pay dice as resources later to do those ideas later everything about this is so brilliant and it's so thematic this is one of the most thematic feeling co-ops i have ever played now i come from the video game industry i was a video game developer for almost two decades and there is a lot of overlap between the creative endeavor of making a big triple a console video game and making a big blockbuster movie and so this game even though we're making movies gave me so many opportunities to feel like i was back in my old life as a creative director trying to steer the ship and make sure the video game uh you know came out okay and so it this is great for me for nostalgic reasons it's great for me for gameplay reasons it's also great for me because i just love movies if you are the type of person or you know people who love watching the behind the scenes making of This is how the sausage gets made, and you get to do it, and you feel like you're living that life. It's so wonderful. It's so thematic. It's my number one game of the year, Roll Camera. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. 
When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And that's it, folks. Phew, that was a lot. But remember, like I said up front, this is a preliminary list. There is going to be more top 10 stuff to talk about in April or May after I've gotten my chance to play a handful of games that have not come through my door yet. Some of them, I am very, very confident they will push their way onto the list. And uh, just to give you a sneak peek of that, how about we take a few seconds and talk uh, about uh, some of those games that I am very, very excited about that I have not had a chance to get yet. Let's see. Let's come over here to my browser view. And there's the best website in the world, Board Game Geek. But I need to go specifically to... Um, where do I need to go? I need to go to wishlist.rado.com, which is actually going to go to my wishlist on Board Game Geek. Okay. And um, first of all, let's go on ahead and turn off expansions. I am not talking about expansions today, folks, nor am I talking about 2.0 reprints. I am talking about truly new things because that's what I always like to celebrate in my end of the year top tens. So um, I've got 380 games on my wish list right now. We're not going to go through all of those. I am now going to control F and do a search for Princey 2021. And now that is 133 games from 2021 I still want to play. But they are sorted by priority. Up at the top of the list are all my ones, my must-haves. And right at the top of that is Ark Nova and Boone Lake. I have not played either of these. But I have a high level of confidence that when I eventually get a chance to, it seems almost fait accompli that they will end up pushing their way into my final top 10 of the year. Boone Lake, because it's from Alexander Pfister, and he's my second favorite designer of all time right now. And this happens every year. I always, last year it happened with Cloud Age. The year before, it happened with uh, Blackout, Hong Kong, that I keep missing his big game of the year, and then when I play it eventually, it pushes its way in. Um, so I don't even know anything about Boon Lake, I just know I has to play it. Must has. Ark Nova, I've been super excited about that ever since I learned about it for Essen. I so want to play this game. Uh, it's about zoo building, but also about nature conservancy, which to me is very important. Not just about caging the animals, but making their lives better bo- uh, you know, in the wild. Uh, but uh, subject matter aside, this has such a brilliant mechanism of action selection where as soon as you do an action, it kind of goes into a queue. You could do it again immediately, but it goes from being strong to weak, and your actions are constantly cycling. The first time I saw this mechanism, I thought it's so brilliant. And apparently, everybody says it's got so many cards that it has very strong terraforming Mars vibes. So all those things to me make me think, that, yeah, when I eventually get my hands on Ark Nova, it's a no-brainer. I'm probably going to love it and not list it. Or, and list it, and list it, uh, for fans of Love It or List It, which Jen loves that show. The British one with Phil and Kirsty. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I'm got, uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting a little spacey, folks. I've been going for a while, but let's focus on the games, not on TV shows my wife loves. Next up, Three Sisters. This looks like a brilliant roll and write from 25th Century Games, who I'm a big, big fan of. And if I recall correctly, it's Riddle and Pinchback. And this is a roll and write, and this is from the, it's another of those roll and writes that's so big and complex, you're working on two pages at the same time. It's a farming simulation set in Three Sisters, Oregon? Or the Three Sisters Mountains, which I used to look at when I lived in Bend, Oregon, so I like the subject matter. But that aside, it looks like, much like Fleet the Dice Game, or maybe a uh, Hadrian's Wall, this is a bigger, richer, more complex roll and write. And that's what I like to see. So that might push its way in. It's certainly a love-to-have. I'm out of the number ones, must-haves, into the number two love-to-haves. Then we've got Meadow. 
I played Meadow in a prototype form earlier this year, so I'm familiar with the game. And I am almost confident it would be in my top 10 of the year. Meadow is such a brilliant card tableau puzzly game. If you watch my run through for it, it's incredible. It's going to be in a lot of people's top 10s. It didn't make my top 10 because I've only played a prototype. I have not played the final commercial version. I don't have a copy of the final commercial version. I so desperately want a copy of the final commercial version. It's beautiful. Some of the most puzzly, wonderful card play I've ever seen. So I suspect if I get a chance to play it for realsy reels, it'll probably push into my top 10 come April or May. Let's see. Oh, and then Aeon's In Legacy of Gravehold. This would be my number one or my number two. But like I said before, I want to celebrate new things. Aeon's End is no longer a new thing. This is the third Aeon's End legacy style. Or maybe it's the second or the third legacy style game. So I, as much as I love it, because I love Aeon's End so much, and I, I'm not going to put it on the list. But I, I've already played it when it was on Kickstarter, and it's fantastic. King Domino Origins. I like King Domino. But it was kind of light. As I understand it, King Domino Origins takes the King Domino gameplay and really balloons it into a very much more crunchy and intricate gamer geek style game rather than a gateway gamer game. And so I'm very interested in that. And the exact same thing is true for Welcome to the Moon. We really dig the Welcome to the Moon series. And apparently this Welcome, or the Welcome 2 series, which is set in like American suburbia or French suburbia, really. Um, but the Welcome to the Moon, well, it makes it a, you know, a moon setting, which is cool, but that's not what I care about. It apparently also really levels up the depth and complexity of the game and also adds a full campaign play to a roll and write. Yes, please. Excited about that. I don't know if that would make it. I don't know if either of those have a chance, but I would like to give them a try and find out. Agropolis is a sequel to Sprawlopolis. Sprawlopolis is fantastic. It's a wonderful little 16-card micro game uh, about using cards as tiles to build up a city, hitting uh, objectives. Works great. Absolutely love it. Totally a keeper. Agropolis is basically the same basic idea, but with just different objectives and set in an agrarian uh, area instead of a metropolitan area. So that's cool. What puts this so high on my list is apparently there's a an expansion you can get called Comboopolis that lets you merge the two games into one. So you can be playing Sprawlopolis, building the city and the country at the same time. I want to try this. That sounds so cool. So that's why that's on my list. Um, let's see. Bad Company. I played a prototype of it again. It's fantastic. A wonderful Machi you know, it improves in every way on the Machi Koro formula. Neko Harbor. I played this with some very nice strangers at the Board Game Geek Convention in Dallas this year. It's a neat little card-based engine building game that blew all of us away. It has a chance, I think, to make it in the top ten. I was so impressed. I played it as a four, maybe a five-player game. I need to play it as a two-player game with my wife to truly judge it, to see if it pushes its way into our favorites here. Plus, I want to see how Jens fares with it, too. But it's all about you know engine building to make a, uh, uh, a shipping industry. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to describe. I talked about it in the last roundup, but... This is one of those flying under the radar, very small publisher, very few people have heard about it, but we were all blown away by it, and I'm hoping I can get a copy and play it in the new year with Jen. Pocket Master Builder did not come out this year, which breaks my heart. It shouldn't be on the list. I have already, I spent like 
I don't know, four or five hours going through all of my wish lists, checking to see which of these games were 2021 and which ones didn't make it. And I submitted all of them to Board Game Geek so they could fix them. And some of them they fixed, some of them they didn't. I actually forwarded them the email I have from the publisher saying, nope, we couldn't make it in 2021. It's going to be 2022. But they didn't, apparently an email for me from the publisher didn't count for changing it. Anyway, it looks really cool because it's from the designer of Walking in Provence and Walking in Burano. I love both of those walking games and the designer who did them. This is his next design. I'm excited about it. Uh, Dunia looks like a very, very cool action selection. It's a, it's a bag building game with dice in the bag. I love that. It's really bright and colorful. It looks like nice and puzzly. Don't know much more about it or even how to pronounce it really. Streets, I played that was on Kickstarter. Would love to get a final copy of it. It doesn't make it into my top 10 of the year, but it is still really, really good. You can watch my run through. Same for Tumbletown. A great, great game from the designer of Calico. It's not quite as great as Calico, but it is a wonderful um, dice, old American West Town uh, city-building game. Followers did not come out. This shouldn't be on the list. Uh, What else we got? Oops. Um, Unsettled. I don't know much about this. Uh, Apparently, it's some kind of sandboxy planetary exploration game. I've heard good things about it. Would like to give it a go, but don't know much about it. Monsters on Board didn't come out this year. It shouldn't be on the list. The Great Wall. I think this made Tom Vassell's top 10 of the year. And I'm certainly up for trying a cooperative Euro game about building the Great Wall of China from Awakened Realms, the masters of high production quality miniatures. Yes, please. I, that, this could surprise me. If Tom loved enough to put it on his top 10, maybe I would as well. But I don't know much about it. Awakened Realms never contacted me to cover it, which was kind of surprising. Um, Time Stories Revolution Cavendish did not make it. This shouldn't be on the list. I tried to correct that. Uh, Arkwright the Card Game. Arkwright is one of the heaviest Euros Gen I've ever played. It was too much for us. Um, the card game is apparently one of the heaviest card games of all time. Maybe it'll be too much for us. I don't know. Would like to try. Merchants of the Dark Road. I played a prototype of it. Haven't played the final. It could make the list because it's brilliant. And you can watch my run through to see why. So many interesting mishmash in this. I guess it's hard. It's a Rondell game, but there's so many more things going on with it. Railroad Inc. Um, green and yellow. These are both great. They so eclipse red and blue by adding so much deeper, heavier, crunchy stuff. I played them at um, Board Game Geek West. We're blown away by both of them. Dice Miner. I so want to try this game. It's such a cool dice drafting game where all the dice are in this little mountain and you have to take them from the bottom. It's, it's kind of like the reverse of Seven Wonders Duels where you have that pyramid and you take cards from the bottom and work your way up and every time you take a card, you're revealing cards for your opponent. This is the same thing except you're working from the top down with a mountain of dice. Really cool custom dice. I haven't had a chance to play it. It looks really neat. I'd love to try. And then, oh, with Carnegie. Carnegie did not come out. Vivid Memories. Did this? I don't think this one made it either. Nile Artifacts. This is um, from Dunstan and Gilbert. I don't know that much about it, but I just love their stuff, so I'd, I'd give it a try. Eight Gods is like a little bonus game from um, Red Raven Games that I think was an add-on to Now or Never. So I don't know much about it, but I'll take anything with Ryan Lockett art, quite frankly. Stroganov is a brilliant Euro. I played the prototype. Would love to try the final. Explorers from Phil Walker-Harding. This is a very lightweight game. This basically, Explorers, looks to me like um, a a souped-up version 
of um, silver and gold. It's like playing four games of silver and gold at the same time, but rethemed to be exploring the countryside. Looks really fun as a rolling right. Dom Pierre goes on crowdfunding next year. It should not be here. The gardens, I do not believe. Actually, uh, Amy and Maggie did the gardens because I think you covered it. It was on Kickstarter. I so wanted to cover this. It looks really, really brilliant. I think, again, it's a riddle and pinchback design. um, Did it come out? I'm not quite sure, but I don't think it would make the list. Summer Camp looks like a very nice deck builder about Summer Camp. Again, I don't know if it actually came out this year. Yokohama Roll and Write. I love Yokohama. I love Yokohama the Duel. Hisashi Hisashi Hiyashi. Oh, I'm sorry. I always get your name backwards. I'm sorry. But uh, considering how great the other Yokohamas were, I'm really keen on trying a Roll and Write. Crystal Miners, this didn't make it out. Uh, 2020, uh, 1923 Cotton Club, I don't know much about it. It looks really good. Um, uh, you know, All about running a speakeasy. Very nice euro lots of mechanisms. Really great looking game. I think it came out at Essen. For The King and Me, this is basically a retheme and a reprint of Biblios that you can now play up to five players. Biblios is designer Steve Fame's greatest game of all time, and it's also one of the greatest card games of all time. And almost nobody can play it. Um, but So it's getting a reprint, a retheme, rejigged. Very excited about that. Will it replace my original much-loved and much-used copy of Biblios? I don't know. Armonia is another little mini Euro from Uwe Rosenberg. It's a sequel to Sagani, and Sagani was very neat. I haven't looked at it much, uh, but I really like Sagani from Uwe Rosenberg. Brazil Imperial. I don't know much about this. Uh, I think it did come out in Portugal. Actually, I think I... I don't know enough to put this on here. Uh, this should be as a four, thinking about, quite frankly. Uh, because I'm, I'm trying to think, and I can't think of anything about it. I just remember, oh, it looked pretty. But that's not enough. There's a lot of pretty games out there. So, uh, you know, hopefully I'll find out more in the coming years. Because I'm only talking about my ones, twos, and threes today. If I go into my fours, we'll be here all day. Into the Blue. This is a new little uh, light abstract game from Reiner Knizia. Looks very pretty about uh, uh, diving, you know, uh, deep sea diving. Dinosaur World. I kind of had the opportunity to cover this, but honestly, the prequel, Dinosaur Island, we thought it was nice, but it just didn't work for us. And I thought Dinosaur World would be more of the same. I have since found out, no. It, the problems we had with Dinosaur Island have been fixed with Dinosaur World. So it is now, I very much want to give it a try. Um, yeah, and I think, I think, or, oh, no, oh, Great Western Trail 2nd Edition. Sure. Uh, in fact, actually, I got rid of my 1st Edition because I'm hoping to get the 2nd Edition. Although I really want is Great Western Trail New Zealand, which is coming after this one. So that's what I really care about. And then we get into the force. So um, those, as you can see, there were a handful of those that I'm relatively confident are going to change the landscape of my top 10 in five months or so. So uh, check back. In fact, if you're watching this years in the future, hit that eye in the top right corner screen or go to the links down in the show notes because there will be a link for the follow-up to this video. Again, if you're watching this um, you know, in mid to late 2022 or later. Okay, so that was that. And that is all very exciting. And now, here's the deal, folks. I have been streaming, I think I said right up front, I've been streaming this live on Christmas Eve. There is an audience of folks who have been watching along, having a good time, I hope. And um, it is now time to open the floor to them. Uh, if they have any questions about anything, uh, you know, maybe some games that I haven't talked about yet that are maybe worth talking about, uh, or whatever, I am going to uh, turn the floor over to them, and we'll see what we will see. I'm going to scroll back up in the chat, and I uh, see, I'm going to do a search for Control-F question mark. Can I search for Control-F question mark here? Can I? 
No, I can't. All right, I'm just going to start scanning for questions that might have come in over the last half hour, and hopefully that will give the live audience a chance to ask some questions. And we'll see what we will see. Um, let's see. Oh, somebody wanted me to say something like Gollum. Oh, Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Yes, when we were talking about the top ten still. All righty. Okay. So, I'm not seeing any questions yet. Oh, okay. Here's one. Ray Solutions asks, what about Sleeping Gods? Uh, do I consider it a 21-ton game? Yes, I do. Sleeping Gods is great. We really, really like Sleeping Gods a lot. Here's a dirty little secret. Sleeping Gods is no longer in my collection. Um, I, I'm donating it to the, uh, to the Dice Tower West Library. Oh, by the way, I always get Board Game Geek convention and Dice Tower West convention mixed up in my head. A few times earlier in this video, I might have said Dice Tower West instead of Board Game Geek when I was talking about conventions. But now, I'm going to donate this to the library there because I think it's great, but... I've got Seven Wonders, and I've got all the expansion content for Seven Wonders, and it just feels wrong to me to keep seven Sleeping Gods gathering dust on my shelf while it will take me three or four or five years to finish all the Seven Wonders stuff. So when I eventually finish all my Seven Wonders stuff Sunday, then I will circle back around and go back to Sleeping Gods. Why didn't it make my top ten? Um, at the end, of the, I, th I think it works great, but you know, it is at its heart, it was a game that was designed to play solo. And, um, you know, because you have a ship full of eight people that you're trying to control. And to play it as a two-player or more-player co-op, you kind of, oh, I'll control four characters, you control four characters. It works. It works great, but it turns me into a commander of these characters rather than being a character in the world. And wherever possible, like, say, Seven Wonders, I'd rather be a character in the world. So the gameplay mechanisms were great. It's just the overall structure kept it out of my personal top ten. Although I do think it's fantastic. So that was a great question. Let's keep on scrolling and see if any more have uh, come up. Alrighty. Okay, Sparrow asks, Games that have entered my collection. That's a big question. Tell you what. Let's go back. Um, let's go way on back when, and, uh, get back to the browser and I am going to go to ranked.rado.com and, uh, let's see, once again, all right, no, there will be no expansions here. Again, I'm going to search for 2021 and Hey folks, here's my top 10 in case you missed it. Counting uh, for my number one roll camera, number two, furnace, three, golem, four, dog lover, five, fun fair, six, dungeon decorator, seven, corrosion. Um, oops, didn't scroll down. Uh, eight, the Terra Futura. Nine, Cocapelli, right? And then number 10, Gutenberg. There are 38 games here that have stayed in my collection. Sleeping Gods wasn't one of them, but let's keep going. What was my number 11? What just missed the list? Messina 1347. From Delicious Games, um, Vladimir Sushi, and he had a co-designer on this one. Just missed it. Love the worker placement, worker movement in this game, fantastic. Number 12, Luna Capital, a really great entwined drafting game from DeVere. Really sharp stuff. Kind of let down by a lackluster presentation, but, oh, the gameplay is so good. Bitoku, now this is also from DeVere. The presentation is amazing. And this is one of the heavier games we played this year. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I would totally be a keeper. Didn't quite make the top 10, but uh, I'm actually... Because they asked for this one specifically, I'm donating this one to the Dice Tower West Library as well, so people will be able to play it in Vegas in the new year. But I'm I'm very sad about it because I did think it was absolutely fantastic. the The crew, Mission Deep Sea, 
I got, I've got rid of my first edition of the crew to keep Deep Sea because it's even better than the crew was and the crew was great. Cubitos, the rarest of rarities, a uh, racing game that Jen and I absolutely enjoy. Brilliant design. Mobile Markets, a smartphone in games. There's in my top 20. I think we're still in the 20. Great business simulation game. I loved it so much, I got rid of uh, my smartphone ink and replaced it with Mobile Markets. Overboss. Oh, this is so good. A great entwined dual-layer tile-drafting game about building uh, 8-bit adventure worlds. Love it to pieces. And right next to it, Cascadia. And, um, you know, I I mean... They're, bo- they're both very similar, but they do a lot of different things. But they're both entwined drafting, and they're dual tile air. So their DNA, and some of the same people worked on both games. I love the subject matter of Overboss more than Cascadia. And all the cool bonuses that came in that Overboss box, all these neat little things, kind of put it over the top between it and Cascadia. Flourish is another brilliant, like, um, what did I say before? Uh, Meadow. Uh, Flourish is another equally brilliant. Meadow might end up, when I eventually get to play it again, somewhere around Flourish. It's kind of hard for me to differentiate them because they're both all about grabbing cards, making tough choices, and then a really tough clockwork puzzle. Of And let's see, Flourish was the one that is... Oh, card drafting like Seven Wonders. I think maybe Meadow was better. But anyway, I'll find out later. Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. Now, this is its rating based on um, the official rules. With a variant that I have developed myself, which is basically use the solo bot in a two-player game, which is officially not supported, but we have done it and we think it's great, played that way, Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition would have made it into my top ten of the year. But I rank things officially not based on variants and homebrews, but based on the official rules. And on the official rules, it's in my top 25 of the year, or whatever we're at now, but not my top 10. Riverside is a wonderful little roll and write from Aporta Games and the uh, makers of... Oh, I can't think of it now. But a great roll and write. You can watch my run through to see why. Shadow Kingdom Valeria from Stan Kordonsky is a great dice drafting game where we play the monsters who are having our lands invaded by the humans. Flipping the storytelling script and making really great, compelling gameplay. Rolling Realms, another fantastic roll and write, um, which is really like eight roll and writes in one, basically. Hadrian's Wall. Um, Maybe... Probably the second most complex roll and write on the market. And absolutely adore it. You can watch my run through to see why. Witchstone. I think this is... is are we? I, we're, I think we're still in my 20s. From Reiner Kenichia, a brilliant uh, bubble bubble toil and trouble... Uh, what would you call it? Tile laying game, I guess? Yeah, a tile drafting tile laying game about filling up your cauldron and making some of the most satisfying combo change you've ever seen. Oh, it is, this game just feels good to play. Um, let's see. Uh, the Rival Networks from Gil Hova, a stripped down, streamlined version of the networks. And it's great. Much like a smartphone, uh, Inc. was replaced by Mole Markets. I'm not sure I have so much stuff for the networks, though, but Rival Networks is wonderful, too. Let's see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, Origins First Builder, a wonderful kind of gateway plus civilization building game where the question is asked, what if the aliens actually helped us build the pyramids? And this game answers that question, and it turns out it's really cool. Asonia, uh, one of the best deck builders, just pure deck builder, to come out since Dominion, quite frankly. No bells or whistles, just a brilliant system, a ton of gameplay in a little tiny box, and unlike most deck builders, it's a complete game. You don't feel like, oh, I need to get a lot more stuff. Brilliant. The Whatnot Cabinet from Steve Finn and Pencil First Games. Is Pencil First? I think so. Or Pencil Down? 
This is a great puzzly tile layer. I haven't played it since what? Since, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the last time I played it. I want to play it some more. It might bump up a little bit because it's so good. It might bump up into flourish meadow territory, quite frankly. And let's see, what else we got? And then we got a bunch of stuff from other years. Squaring Circleville, right behind me on the wall. A very hard-to-get game, unfortunately. Hopefully, it gets wider distribution. Watch my run-through to see why. A very, very cool uh, city-building game where the first, you have to destroy the city, tear it down so that it can be rebuilt. Really clever, neat Rondell stuff in it. Uh, let's see, continuing on. A botanic from the designer, or uh, co-designer, or... Co-designed by the designer of Jaipur. That's a two-player game that's absolutely brilliant. The player interaction between this game is sublime. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Red Rising from Stonemaier Games. Uh, this was kind of a Marmite game. People seem to love it or hate it. I certainly loved it. I kept it. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, it's basically like kind of a souped-up version of a game from Z-Man that I can't think of the name now. That's going to drive me nuts. But anyway, watch my run-through I talked about there. Venice would have from Brain Crack Games and designer Dave Turchi and Andre Novak, if I recall, this would have rated higher, except it had some very unfortunate production issues. Basically, the board was too small, and it made physically playing the game kind of hard. But the gameplay itself was brilliant. It's that rarest of thing, a pick-up-and-deliver game that we actually like. Because we don't really don't like pick up and deliver. So, and as I understand it, it's getting an expansion, and the expansion will come with an updated board, and future prints will have bigger boards so that it is more playable and those issues are gone away. At which point, I think it would bump up significantly on my list. Sheepy Time, a wonderful little rondelle, very charming little gateway game from AEG. Uh, Lions of Lydia, a bag building game from Johnny Pack. A really, really neat game. Very puzzly and combo laden. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a meeple bag builder where you get more colored meeples. You pull them out of the bag. That represents the actions you get to do. Fun, uh, kind of almost toy-like uh, element to it. Really like it. And um, oh, let's make a bus route. Another wonderful roll and write. The sequel to uh, the dice game. Where and I don't know why we don't have more bag bill or more more rolling rights where players are riding on the same board everybody always does their own thing what makes uh bus route and bus route the dice game so great is players are working in the same environment and that makes it great uh savannah park from kramer and keesling oh my goodness this is it's a very simple this is a game that you could teach anybody how to play it's very dry it's very abstract it's um it's a tile laying game but all your tiles are already on the board and every round you have to pick one tile up flip it to say it's been used and put it somewhere else on the board and it kind of has this bingo element to it and it is tension filled kramer and keesling at their best making beautiful streamlined really fun and compelling gameplay shriacha or sriracha which is a game out of thailand i just recently played which um has a really great vibe it um has entwined drafting it has initiative based simultaneous reveal it has a really compelling combo driven city building uh you can watch my run through it's really sharp and let's see that's it for page one if i go into page two i think there's a handful more and uh, let's see 2021 Let's see here. Sub Astral, uh, another really cool, I think this was uh, Pinchback and Riddle again. A very, very cool, really unique card drafting game with a card draft system to build biomes and you'll combine cards and score lots of points. Really one of the most interesting and unorthodox card drafting systems you've ever seen. And then also a really mind 
bending, puzzly final scoring system with the set collection. Very neat. Uh, let's see. Actually, I can just hit the next button. And uh, Cryo. Really liked this. Uh, great worker placement game from the design team of Manhattan Project Energy Empire. Maybe the greatest worker placement game of all time. This is a wonderful worker placement game as well. Only down here in the 7.9 range. Because if they just done... Again, this is one of those ones where with a tiny bit of a tweak, with a simple little house rule, this could easily bump up to my probably my mid-8s. But the player scaling for final scoring of the caves that we're trying to evacuate all our people into... It was clearly two-player was kind of an afterthought, so that kind of brought it down a little bit. But the gameplay is stellar. Escape roll and write. Why don't we have more cooperative roll and rights? More cooperative roll and rights, please. Let Escape be the first of many more to come. Uh, Core Rise of the Empire, another very lightweight, or no, not medium weight, light to medium, almost gateway plus civilization building game. I could almost see this being a gateway game. Again, it comes in lower because. It, everything that there is great, there could have been a couple more things just to elevate it into the 8 status, but I still really liked a lot. I talked about that in my final thoughts. I think that's it. Yeah, and then we've got Theros. Oh, Theros from Spielworks, going back to my previous list, might be another contender for top 10 of the year. I haven't played it yet, but I've got it. It is a dice bag builder set in a steampunk industrial mining simulation, and it looks really, really cool. Hopefully you play it soon. Happy City, haven't played. Milestones, Tulip Fever, uh, Ariansis, Tori Tori, Endangered Species, Nirvana, Balada. These are all games I've got but I, that are on my shelves waiting to be played. And as you saw from that other list, there are more coming soon, hopefully. All right, so that was a question. Yikes. Let's unpin that message. Okay. Uh, I'm sure there must be some more questions by now because that was a lot. A lot, lot. Okay. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's see here. Just looking for question marks. This really sucks that I cannot control F. Oh, of course I can't control F because I'm in OBS. I need to be actually on proper Twitch. That's why I can't do it. Ugh, that makes sense. All right, well, that's fine. I'm just skim reading. Sorry, folks. Uh, by the way, one thing I do, whenever I do any th streaming live, after I'm done, I go back and watch the live stream at like 15x speed using a, a Chrome plugin so I can go through the chat really quick and actually read everything anybody said. And one of my favorite things about Twitch, where I'm live streaming right now, if there was a question I missed and I really feel like I should answer that, I will whisper you the answer, which is like a direct message on Twitch. Can't do that on YouTube. Love that you can do that on Twitch. But, let's see here. I'm almost caught up. I'm just looking for question marks. And, um, let's see. I see Slivers agreed 100% about Sleeping Gods. Okay. So, I was talking about that a million years ago. Um, have I tried Oltree? Ask Karthik. No, I have not. I was really excited about it when I first heard about it. And, you know, it's from... Seven Wonders, Antoine Bauza, and he's been designing it for like almost a decade. It's been kind of his dream project, so I was so excited. But then when I saw it in action, as other players got it from Gen Con, I think, I'm like, wow, that looks like it has a lot of role to resolve. I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this at all. It, it looks like it's a very lightweight, cooperative, 
a game in kind of the pandemic mold. And that's what I was talking about in the top 10. I would like to see co-ops done in different ways. I, it looks really pretty. It's got Vincent Dutre art. I mean, maybe I'll get a chance to play it, but I, I you know, you'll notice, Hey, I just went through those lists. It was, it, it, I have it ranked as a four on my wish list. It's on there, but I really need to be convinced it's something Jen and I want to play because at this point, I think it's probably too lightweight for our tastes. Okay. Well, let's keep on going. So we must be into question territory now. Uh, oh, Feldfan, I did not know this, says Capstone is going to be releasing Squaring Circleville. Good news, everyone. Soon you'll be able to get this game as well. Watch my run-through to find out more about it. And chuckle to yourself every time I mention in the final thoughts, oh, it's so sad you can't get this game because you knew know something that me from two weeks ago didn't know, thanks to Feldfan. That's cool. All righty. Um, oh, Target talks about waiting on that Vigor Venice board. Right. Um, dee, dee, dee. Oh, uh, it looks like folks are getting ready for dinner. Um, let's see. Somebody asked any good miniatures games, but it looks like they asked that. Uh, Sun Temple Rado. Oh, first time chatter. Hey, welcome, Sun Temple Radio. Thanks for uh, joining the chat. I hope somebody could ask that because I'm really not a miniatures guy. Of everything I talked about, I think the one miniature heavy game I talked about today was uh, from Awakened Realms. Oh, The Great Wall. So I'm really interested in trying that, but I haven't tried it yet. It was not a very miniature-heavy game for me this year, interestingly. Normally, there's always a couple of them that sneak in, but I don't think I had any this year. So I got nothing for you, buddy. And I feel bad, because it was your first question ever. Uh, Kabuki asks, have I looked at Shiver Me Timbers? I will. I'm on a browser. Shiver Me Timbers. The name sounds familiar, but of course, that's a pretty generic... Let's see, it came out in 2021, according to this. I do not have it on my wish list. All I can tell you, Kabuki, is that means at one point I looked at it and I said no. And I'll tell you why I said no if I come back to my browser. It features a healthy dollop of Take That. Which, it's not unreasonable that a pirate game would have Take That. But that's not what I'm looking for in my pirate games. So, Shiver Me Timbers, I'm not looking for uh, that shivering. Um, Oh, no, I can't say anything. I was about to say something. I, I'm sitting on some secret information about pirates, but I cannot, I'm, I'm sworn to secrecy. I cannot say anything. I shouldn't have even said I, I could say something. Let's see here. Right, okay. Slivers asked, regarding Gollum, why do I think there's a discrepancy between the three-player experience I had lasting an hour and Board Game Geek saying 90 to 120 minutes? Game length is what's prevented Slivers from playing. Well, first of all, I mentioned there were three players, me, Alejandro, and Ashley. Um, and the two of them had played half a game and they taught me how to play. It was a two-player game. It was me and Alejandro. Ashley was sitting there on the side with the rule book for the entire hour, spot-checking stuff that the two of them didn't remember. So she was definitely involved. Um, oops, by the way, I, could, I should have turned off the, hey, I can't interact with the audience thing that was on the top of the screen. I've turned it off now. People on YouTube, you never even knew it was there. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I totally forgot about that. Uh, so it was a two player game. And the thing is I would call it speed golem because we got, it was literally, here we are the last day of the convention, right? I golem is one of my number one games I wanted to play on the second day. When I went into the library, I saw it. I literally almost sprinted over to grab it. I saw it from across the room, library, but somebody just very casually, when I was still like five or six feet away, just walked up and just cat. Oh, what? I didn't even know what this is. I'm gonna, and like, ah, Oh! And for the rest of the show, I would like hover for 10 minutes in the library just hoping somebody would return it so I could play it. On the last day, when it's only a half day, and there's only like 
three hours we've got until everything no but it's two hours till everything has to be back to the library I, I go in oh it's still not there fine and then wouldn't you know somebody returns it right in front of me I don't I, I see them walk through the door it doesn't even make it to the shelf I intercept them at the door as they're checking in and I say please and I take it and then I realize there is no way I can learn this and play this in the two hours I have it's impossible and so what happened is, uh, I'm like, oh, well, let me check it back in. Somebody, and what, what are you talking about? Now, let me explain why I can't play this. And somebody overheard and said, well, I know how to play it. Where are you? I'll come teach you how to play. Her name was Jennifer. Wherever you are, Jennifer, thank you so much. So I checked it out anyway, went back to my wife's stand, because at the board game convention, my wife was selling her gamer glass. You know, there she is right there. And I was just sitting in her booth all the time playing games with anybody who would walk by. Start setting up the game. Jennifer hadn't arrived yet. Ashley and Alejandro walked by. They were kind of familiar with the game. They sat down, and we started playing. Jennifer eventually did show up like 10 minutes later. And I said, Jennifer, thank you so much. And I thank you again, wherever you are. But we got it. We're playing. And here's the deal. We had to play this fast, fast, fast. We were playing speed going because we knew we didn't have much time. Alejandro wanted to sit down and explain the game to me for a half an hour and explain all the little permutations, all the little rules because it's a big, heavy game, lots of stuff. And I said, no, stop it. Do not tell me that. The game is set up. I've set it up. Make your move. Tell me why you're making your move. Teach me that way. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to do this because of this, this, and this. And instantly, I, oh, so I understand what that is. I understand what that is. I understand what that is. And I said, okay. All right. Okay, so I've got this. Tell me what those actions are I could choose from. And he explained what this is. And just really simply, I said, okay, I'm going to do that action. And then we did it, and, I was, and we were learning as we went. Basically, I taught Alejandro and Ashley how to do a Rado runs through. Because the way I, I do not, I, when I teach people how to play games in my videos, I'm showing by doing. And so we learned it as we were going. And we just gave ourselves a hard limit. I mean, we made very quick decisions. Occasionally, you're like, oh, I made a decision too fast. That was dumb. Okay, fine. I'm just going to live with it. We're just going to keep going. And like I said, we got that game done in an hour. I got it back here. The first time I played it with Jen, it took almost two hours. I, um, the, the next time we played it, it took about an hour and a half. And I suspect that's what it will constantly continue to be for us. About an hour and a half is a two-player game. Because my wife is a very thinky player. I can be, but I like to be a bit more, you know, uh, direct and, uh, you know, and, and fast, you know, decisive. Uh, so, yeah. But it is a game where the more players there are, the longer it's going to get. So, um, yeah, I mean, 90 to 120 minutes is probably true. And so that's something you got to know going in. Unless you're under the gun and you're willing to play speed. And it was fantastic. We both enjoyed it. I won, even though I'd never played it. Uh, and we both uh, had a great time. So that's the discrepancy. It was a very unique circumstance. All righty. Final girl thoughts, uh, says Kabuki Kid. Does the theme keep me away? Yes, it does. I like the idea of it, but I know my wife will have nothing to do with it. My wife is my only gaming partner, so it's a non-starter. Uh, let's see. What is the hottest Kickstarter for me right now? That's on Kickstarter right this very second? There's nothing on Kickstarter right now this very second. Is there? No, there's not. So what I'll tell you instead is, let me find a list of the Kickstarters that I will be filming in the month of January. And I will tell you, because I've played some of them, I haven't played all of them yet. Let's see here. Where is that list? All right, okay. I need to go... Oh, no, that's... I'm in, I'm in totally in the wrong place. I need to go to this. And I'm... 
There's a lot of stuff on this list. I, I cannot show you this list. This list is the keys to the entire Rotto Runs Through Kingdom that I now have on screen. I have to make sure I am not... I, I'm not, I have not put that list on screen. Okay, that would be bad. Because uh, there's, there's, there's confidential information on this list I've just put on screen, which I'm teasing you about. Okay, so, stuff in January. We're covering Evolution New World. Um, I'm actually playing it with Jen tomorrow. I've always loved Evolution. I think the New World stuff is very, very cool. But it's probably going to be a Blazon from 25th Century. That's really neat. A game of uh, a really neat uh, tile laying game of heraldry. Oak. I know I've said yes to it. I don't know what it is yet. Collab. I've said yes to it. I said yes to it like months ago. I don't remember what it is. Puzzle Strike. Hike. Sky Tear Horde. I think Ryan's doing that. Uh, Duong Pearl on Silk Road. I know Shay's doing that. Oh, and Shay's doing uh, Sky Tear. Ruel's doing Skate Summer. I'm doing um, John Yang, Life of Gentry. I'm doing Astro Knights. Astro Knights. Astro Knights, which is coming on Kickstarter in January, is my most anticipated because it's basically a reboot of what did I talk about earlier? Aeon's End. But turning it into a science fiction game, streamlining it, I can't wait to give it a try. I'm also very excited about Jian Yang, although I haven't played it yet. It is over there. So those are two upcoming Kickstarters. and I mean, a bunch more. Uh, you just got kind of a sneak peek of what's coming to the channel in the future. Now, I must close this window and make sure it's closed just in case I accidentally showed that to you folks. Hee-hee! <laughs> so there's some upcoming Kickstarters of note. Okay. Oh! Um, you're right. Okay. And then Kabuki said, well, Frosthaven. Sure. Of course. Frosthaven. You meant whenever I think of Kickstarters, I, my brain immediately goes to what games do I have to cover that are coming soon? You're thinking about what games are actually going to be available at retail soon. Yeah. Probably Frosthaven. That's a good answer. Kabuki. Thank you. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Looking forward to Dead Reckoning. I am looking forward to Dead Reckoning 2. It's interesting. I had the chance to cover that when it was on Kickstarter, but I said no because it was a very PvP, in-your-face pirate simulation game from John D. Clare with uh, the the card customization stuff that he does that I love. And so Shay covered it. He did a great job. Was it Shay or was it Ryan? I don't remember now. No, maybe it was Ryan who covered it for the channel. But anyway... During the Kickstarter campaign, they unlocked a co-op mode. And I'm like, dude, why didn't you tell me about the co-op mode? I totally would have covered it. So I'm excited about the co-op mode for um, Dead Reckoning. Definitely. D-d-d-d. Secret Pirate, says Kabuki Kid. I'm sorry, I can tell you nothing. Oh man, I would be in so much trouble if I said anything. Uh, overall, what is my opinion of 2021 compared to 2020? Do I feel this year is better than the other? Okay, tell you what. Let's go back. Okay, is the browser safe? Is the browser safe? Let's Yes, okay, it's safe. Let's go back to the browser. Let's go back to, not this any old browser, but let's go to ranked. Let's not hit the back button. That would be bad. Ranked.rado.com. Okay. And 2020, uh, 2021. So, roll camera. What do I want to do? What I want to do is, all right, let's... Let's just pick a random spot here, right here. Or actually, no, I know what I want to do. I want to go to another page. Let's go to games.rado.com, right? Which is this, this same version of the list, but without the pictures, but with numbers, right? Okay, my number 50, um, or my top 100. My top 100 currently, which anybody can see at games.rado.com, and my number 100 is Charterstone. Hey, Corrosion is number 99. All right, now, with that information, let's go to Charterstone. Charter Stone. Okay, let's start going backwards. We have a 2021. A 2021. A 2021. 
2021. Oh, oh, I'm going up against... Yeah, I'm going up against 2020s. Oh, I'm not looking at 2020s. Okay, All right. Okay, here's how I do this. Here's how I do this. All right, control F, uh, 2021. All right, so... Uh, one, two, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, eighteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four. 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46 games in my top 100 came out last year. Now, let's go back to Charterstone and compare. Uh, Charter. Control F, 2020. All right, this was asking, right? It was 20. Yeah, okay, so. All right. Oh, I got to get back to where did Charterstone go? Arg. Charter Stone. All right. Let's just get to the first 2020 that comes up. Uh, is Pandoria Merchants. All right. Uh, all right. 2020. All right. Okay. So now I'm searching for that. And by the way, there were 38 um, entries on this list, which is like my top three. I, in my top 300 games, I had 38 from 2021, I have 39 from 2020. So right off the bat, that's one more. But if we get to the uh, top 100s, where did I just go? Ugh. I've, I've, oh, man, I blew this. All right, where was it again? Charterstone. Charterstone is here. All right, and then the first one I need to check is Pandora Merchants, 2020. Find Pandora Merchants. I'm going the other way. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Looks like 14. So 2021 was twice as good as 2020. And it's probably going to get better because I've played almost everything from 2020. I've still got more stuff from 2021. So there you go. Um, incredibly scientific. 2021, phenomenal year. And I still haven't even played everything yet. Okay, hold on. I don't want to do a lot of editing on this, but that particular answer stuck in my head afterwards because it just didn't feel right at all. I have no idea how I was counting that. Uh, clearly, it went off the rails. But after the live stream was over and I calmed down, I went back and I did a more thorough check. And it turns out I have it backwards. As of today, uh, December 24th, 2021, there are seven games of from 2021 in my top 100 and 13 games from 2020. So as of today, 2020 is winning uh, by almost double by that particular random metric. Again, on the entire page of the top 300, they're one away from each other. But uh, this is just one random metric I came up with on the spot. But as I think I did mention, of course, that number is subject to change because I listed a whole bunch more games I do want to play from 2021. So anyway, let's get back to the Q&A. Okay, what do we got here? Sorry, that was very boring. That is maybe something I will edit out after the fact, but maybe not. Um, is role player adventure in my to playlist for 2021? I would play it, but I, I would have the same problem with that that I have with Sleeping Gods. Any kind of... Here's the deal. 
it's hard for me to play any game after I filmed it. It goes on the shelf. I don't have time to go back and film stuff. So campaign games that you really want to put a lot of time in, it just feels foolish for me to have them. Especially because I personally paid for all that Seventh Continent stuff I've got. I paid hundreds of bucks on all that Seventh Continent stuff I've got. And Frosthaven is coming. So if there is one campaign game I can make time for, it'll be Frosthaven. After I finish freaking Jaws of the Lion, which I don't have time for either. If there's a second one, it's going to be Seven Wonders, because I paid all that money myself. Hundreds of bucks to get the balloons and all that stuff. So, getting a third one, it just isn't in the cards. It doesn't make sense for me. So, I'd love to give it a try. I thought it was very cool when I played the prototype, but it's just, it's just it would be ill-advised. You know, if they offered to send me a final copy, I'd say, I really appreciate it, but I'll never get a chance to play it. So, um, if you give it to me, I will probably end up donating it to the Dice Tower West Board Game Convention Library, which is what I end up doing with the vast majority of games that I don't have room for that I'll just never get a chance to play. All righty. So, um... All right. Uh, did my feelings for board games grow stronger in 2021 or cooled off? I would say they were consistent, Jules. Didn't um, um, go up or go down. I will say I played I, I, um, on the channel. I covered, I think in 2020, I did about 250 games. And in 2021, I played about 200 games um, You know that all got mentioned in roundups and stuff like that, G give or take a little bit, something like that. And that's in part because I've got Shay and Ruel and Ryan covering more stuff, so I don't have to cover as much. And two, I don't want my wife to get burned out. I'm worried about her just getting overwhelmed with games. So I'm trying to slow down, which is one of the reasons I'm bringing other contributors on, so I can still have output without having to do quite so much input. Okay. All righty. Oh, my gosh. I probably skipped a few, and I'm sorry for that, but I think I have caught up. In my world of covering Kabuki, uh, covering Kabuki Kickstarter, Kickstarters, you know I reject games I don't like. Uh, have I encountered any that slipped through the cracks and ended up being serious duds? Oh, they look good on the surface. Yes, I would say, I mean, for folks who don't know, whenever any publisher contacts me about covering any game, I say send me the rules. I will take a long, hard look at them, and I will decide if it's uh, something that I think Jen and I would like. And nine times out of ten, literally, nine times out of ten, I will say no. Because it's just something that I don't think is very good, or maybe it's good, but I know we won't like it. I think I refigured that out, and, um, and maybe these days it's it maybe is more like one out of, or maybe like seven out of ten. Because I think overall publishers are just getting better at making games. I think the overall ranking or just general gestalt quality of game designs is year on year as a as a whole getting better and better. There is a higher percentage of good compared to bad. And that is just going up year on year. So I find myself saying yes to more stuff. Or at least saying no less often. To Kabuki's question though, have a few gone through the cracks? Yes, it probably happens. I probably screw up maybe three or four times a year. And we get the game and I thought it was going to be better. And it's just like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And when that happens, I just contact the publisher and say, look. I know you'll pay me to do this, but it will hurt you if I cover this game for your Kickstarter campaign because I will say what I think. Do you want me to do that, or would you rather I just put it in the mail and send it on to somebody else? And 99 times out of 100, and that, that one of these happened to me six months ago, uh, they'll just have me send it on to somebody else, and that's fine. No harm done. The only, one, the only person who has ever said yes was Myth. I ripped Myth apart in my final thoughts, and they said, we're ready for it. Go for it. 
So, um, and that was the case. Although Myth was actually a brilliant design, but there were so many problems with it. Okay, that was it, folks. I am the answering question machine. That, folks, is my preliminary top 10 of the year, plus a whole bunch of other games, plus some questions and answers. And I want to thank everybody who showed up today to watch me stream it live. And if you couldn't make it live, well, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, If you have any questions or if I missed anything, again, you can point them out in the comments below. But I hope everybody had a very happy holiday season. And uh, I hope everybody has a great 2022. Uh, And uh, come back in a week. If you're seeing this the day it went live, and you'll hear me talking at great length about what's coming in 2022. There's some very good stuff in the hopper, some of which I can't talk about. But that's it, folks. Thank you uh, very much for watching. Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Uh, Bye-bye.